Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How's it, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Command Zone. I'm your host, Josh Lee Kwai. And I'm DJ. We're back. And DJ, you should be excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> what we're doing today is we are breaking down my favorite, my treasured deck. It's Braids Conjure Adept. This deck is amazing because it plays with huge creatures, plays with board politics. You connive with your opponents while helping others. It is just over the top. My favorite. All right, all right. It's all my, right. Josh, it's my favorite. I know, it's your baby. I've played against it a few times now. It's a really sweet deck. Uh, but before we get into it, we're going to be talking about a bunch of cards right. here. An awesome commander deck. And if you want to pick up any of these cards or any other cards for any of your decks, please go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link when you order your Magic Singles product, anything at all, you really are supporting this show, this channel, all of our content, including game nights, keeping us on the air, keeping the lights on. We really do appreciate it. And while you're there, or if you're at your LGS, really all around the world, you can find Ultra Pro products as well. And they make really sweet, like, playmats. We have, uh, they have this Black Lotus theme stuff that's out there now. There's... Oh yes, you also have the full art island. Can I just like support island today? I'm just <laughs> well, all about all about blue right now. Well, we figured By the, way, the best the is, best card in Magic. Is, I know is that you, I know that you think you have the best card in Magic, Black Lotus, but actually Basic Island, best card in Magic. <laughs> you make a strong case. Uh, well, Braids is model blue, so I figured you should have the island. Thank you. Uh, this Black Lotus stuff. There is actually sleeves. There's deck boxes. There's a wall scroll that you may have seen in the uh, background of game nights. So that's a bunch of stuff Ultra Pro has out there. Check that stuff out. Again, whenever you purchase their products, you are supporting us. So it's just like gravy. It's value. And another way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. And in fact, we call out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Judson Wall. Judson, you rock. Thanks, Judson. Judson. I almost said Justin, but it's Judson. I'm sure he's never heard that before. Okay, sorry. I always got to make a comment about somebody's name. <laughs> Let's, we we gotta, gotta, Josh, we got to talk about Braids. So who is Braids? Braids is a conjurer or adept. Um, Not to be confused with the mono black Braids, oh. uh, which is banned. So sometimes when we're talking about Braids, 
There are two of them. So when we say braids in in uh, relation to Commander, this is the one we mean. We mean the mono blue braids. Let me read That's the right. card really quick so everybody's on the same page. She's two blue blue for a 2-2 two, two legendary creature human wizard. That can be important. She says, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player may put an artifact, creature, or land card from their hand onto the battlefield. This is a crazy <laughs> interesting card. Is there anything you want to like let the audience know right up front about? Because like, I think people oh, yeah. get a little confused the first time they read this card. This this trigger is incredibly powerful. The problem is, is that it works for everyone. So you play Braids... And it's nowhere near your upkeep. You have to pass the turn and then your opponent gets a braids trigger. So before they draw, that's important. They just get to put uh, artifact, creature, land, just straight onto the battlefield. And uh, that that can definitely be good for your opponent. What's one of our favorite sayings on the show? The One of the most powerful things you can do in Magic, maybe the most powerful thing in all of Magic, is cheating of mana cost. And this is literally giving it to your opponents before you get it. Yeah, so then it goes to that opponent, the yeah. and then uh, it goes to your next opponent, and then it goes to your next opponent, and then you finally get an opportunity to use your own braids trigger. So this, on its surface, seems seems real bad. Yeah, it does seem bad when you look at it. Um, however, one thing I'll say about braids when you do look at it is that it always creates fun games because everyone's going to do stuff, mm -hmm. which is a really cool thing. And, and I think the challenge of this deck and something that, you know, when I've played against you, I've noticed that you've done very well is making that that ability really work for you and against your opponents a little bit. We're going to be talking about the politics of braids all throughout this episode. But starting off, one thing that you need to know is that you are playing a group hug deck. You're technically not. But, but you are giving you things can, to your opponent. You're giving stuff to your opponent. You have to make sure that they feel like they like the stuff they're getting. And maybe you have some table talk. You're like, hey, Josh, should I play Braids now? Yeah, do you have anything you want to cheat like, in? Like, is anything... As soon as Josh says yes, he is way less likely to kill my own Braids before it's my turn. You That's have to point. make... You have to... And this is psychological. You have to make them say, like, oh, yeah, I'll take a Braids. Yeah, I want that. Yeah, that'd I want be that. sweet. You want okay, I'm gonna do braids. And then yeah. so you play braids, and then Josh never almost never kills braids. It's almost always the person that doesn't have something good to put into play. Yeah. That that kills the braids. They see everything going on at the table there, like, oh no, no, and they kill braids. And that's what you want to avoid. Okay. But let's let's get right into it, Josh. Sure. Let's talk about just the coolest biggest, most awesome things that you can put into play off of braids. Yeah, that's, that's the, what we're here for, yeah, right? Everybody, I think, has the first initial thought when they see this card, which is, what are the awesome things I'm going to put into play when it's my turn with the trigger? We're, we're getting ready to talk about politics, but everyone's like, what are the big creatures? Yeah, yeah that's the fun part. So Let's talk about some big yeah, let's creatures. Let's talk about how to abuse braids trigger. Um, this is a, a favorite of the show recently. Since you've come on, we've talked about it a few times, so it must be a card you like. Uh, I do like it. Yeah. I do like it. I mean, who yeah. doesn't? If it's you can get good it out, at... it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So this is It That Betrays. Uh, it is 12 mana for an 11-11 Eldrazi. It has Annihilator 2. And whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent, put that card onto the battlefield under your control. Mm-hmm. So if you can get braids out, if you could get basically get this out early and you can annihilate someone, not only does that cripple their game plan, 
sometimes they're sacrificing what they put into play with braids and you get it. Yeah, that's the thing about it that betrays an <laughs> annihilator. It has a way to make the opponent sacrifice things on it, in which case normally you get two lands, which is also awesome. And as we've learned, actually, we probably never want to give two lands anymore because we've learned that the biggest advantage you can you can get in a game of Commander, I'm referring to our stats episodes recently, is to have more lands in play than your opponents. That's the single biggest indicator we could find of who's going to win the game. So and that almost tells- want to do that too. They might be like, okay, so I just put this cool angel into play from your braids trigger. I don't want you to have that. And they think that the lands are disposable. And so they'll just toss those over and they're really putting themselves at a huge disadvantage. Yeah. And before you know it, you've got more lands than anybody else and therefore the best chance to win the mm -hmm. game. Yeah. It the betrays is pretty sweet. Here's a uh, Craig Blanchett favorite. And he, he has cheated it in on me and killed me <laughs> with it a few times. <laughs> it's Blightsteel Colossus. It's another 12 mana. It's an 11-11 artifact creature golem. It has trample and infect. Trample and infect on an 11-11 is pretty bad for you because the the infect is going to get in there. You can't like throw a little chump blocker in front of it. And then it says Blightsteel Colossus is indestructible. <laughs> just in case you were like, oh, no, I'll just get rid of it. It's hard. Uh, and then it has that normal rider clause that goes on a lot of really big things so that you can't reanimate it from it's it's trying to make it so you can't reanimate from the graveyard you can't cheat it in that way but braids yeah. you can still uh put it into play it says if blightsteel colossus would be put into a graveyard from anywhere reveal blightsteel colossus and shuffle it into its owner's library instead so yeah you can't like discard it and then reanimate you know animate dead it on turn two like we used to do so this is just a way to end the game super early and a lot of the eldrazi do something pretty similar it's we mentioned eldrazi so we thought we'd mention some infect ways i don't know if it's going to end the game a lot of times because it's got to swing three times it's definitely going to end the game for somebody though oh <laughs> yeah you you're right you're right it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it might not end the game for everyone but it's gonna it's gonna kill someone yeah. if it ends up on the battlefield if you if you Demands Play Braids an on four and then Blightsteel on five and then untap with it on six. Somebody's dead. That's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> so we mentioned one Eldrazi, by the way, but all of the good old Eldrazi with Annihilator work really well. Yep. Uh, even Emrakul, the new one, is new Emrakul. fine. Uh, do you get the cast trigger? You don't no. get the cast yeah. trigger. So it's that's, still huge and awesome. So that's one of the things that you want to that you want to pay attention to is that you don't get the cast trigger on these things. Uh, but sometimes people play the new Emrakul or the new Ulamog along with them as well, uh, even though the Annihilator is clearly better. Uh, if we want a card that does a lot on the battlefield, oh boy, this is a mean one, by the way. We're yeah. by covering all the mean stuff straight yeah. up. It's Jingataxis Core Augur. 10 mana, 8 blue blue for a 5-4 legendary creature Praetor. It's got flash, and at the beginning of your end step, draw 7 cards. Ugh. That's pretty good. That's but it's so many cards. It's really the next part that makes it. Each opponent's maximum hand size is reduced by 7. <laughs> So, so, they can't so everyone hands. at the end of their turn, just th th their cleanup step, they're just like, welp, and they throw away their whole hand. I like this. Uh, listen, I don't like this card, but I like it in the deck. And it goes along with the philosophy I have, which is I want my card to do something now, right? So It That Betrays, Blightsteel Colossus, really cool, really big, really awesome. If, if you get to do something with them. Jingataxius, the window of opportunity for your opponent to do something about it is way smaller. Yeah, you're right. Especially the first person you pass the turn to is like, oh uh, crap. If uh, they don't have a kill spell, they're going down to zero cards probably. 
you know, they're going to cheat one thing in and then go down to zero cards, which means your braids is way better from then on. It's way better. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I wanted to mention this card because it, like you said, it's really, really good. I don't play Jenga Taxes in my version. Because if you play, here's the thing I'll say. You mentioned how you're in a group hug deck. Mm-hmm. Your play group is going to catch up to the fact that Jenga Taxes is in your deck, in which case, from then on, they will never let you play this deck how you want it to. If I yeah. see Jenga Taxis come out from somebody's braid decks one time, every time I play that braid deck from now on, I'll kill it as soon as possible or try to kill them as soon as possible because it's just too scary. Sometimes an underwhelming card, you know, maybe like a Stormtide Leviathan or something like that, might be even better because people are like, oh, it's kind of cool. You're playing a big old monster. Look at that Leviathan. And they still buy into this group hug. I'm putting quotes around it which by the way, the audio version can't see at all. <laughs> so, but even it that we trace. So, like it's basically you kind of play as a group hug and you have group hug aspects, but you need to be able to be super aggressive at the right time. And you have to ride that line really, really carefully. And I think Jenga Taxis just takes it way over the top. Like you said, no, you're never going to convince anyone that you're doing anything good. And even when you say, yes, you'll want braids. If you know, there's a possibility of Jenga taxes, you might kill braids anyways, before it ends up being my turn. Yeah. You I mean, lose political advantage. Things like it that betrays even by steel Colossus, they feel more fair because you do have to attack with them. So I, I feel like I had a chance to do something about it. Jenga taxes can feel unfair. It prevents your opponents from playing magic versus yeah. like just smashing face. And there's a big difference in the mindset of magic players with that. So here's a new card that uh, came out with, when did the Elder Dinosaurs come out? Rivals of Ixalan? Ixalan or Rivals. Yeah, so I like to see this guy. And this is actually a really cool card to have in play. It's Nezahal, Primal Tide, five blue blue, seven mana for a seven seven. Legendary creature, Elder Dinosaur. It says Nezahal, Primal Tide, can't be countered if you ever were gonna cast it, but you're gonna put (laughs) it in with braids. It says you have no maximum hand size. Always nice. Great against opposing Jenga taxes. Yep. Whenever an opponent casts opposing Jenga taxes, yeah, exactly. just, just, just great in those instances. They're just all like, over the place. <laughs> where everyone's got a Jenga taxes. You're like, I don't care. Like, I'm okay. fine. <laughs> Except for they're still drawing seven cards. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I still care, actually. I still care. Okay. Nezahal also says, whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell, you draw a card. There it is. That's a really cool... Um, it's like uh, Niv-Mizzet a little bit, the new Niv-Mizzet. Yeah, or like Mystic Remora. They kind of said, oh, Mystic yep. Remora grew up and became a huge monster. <laughs> yeah. Became that Jurassic World dinosaur. And then it says, discard three cards and you exile Nezahal and then return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So this is a way to protect Nezahal if there's something that's going to kill it. And because it has card draw stapled to it, you don't maybe necessarily mind discarding the three cards as much because you can get some of those cards back or you've already gotten enough value out of it. I've essentially kept Nezahal on the battlefield and chucked cards to it over and over again because it kind of turned into a sort of um, Phyrexian Arena, sort yeah. of like an effect that just generated me a bunch of card draw. It's a non-creature spell. So if they play yeah. a Mana Rock you draw a card. If they play a Planeswalker, you draw a card. So it, when I said it's like Niv-Mizzet, it's actually a little better than that as far as the card drawing capability. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but it is opponent, whereas I believe Niv-Mizzet is anybody casting a spell. So, okay, listen, I'm just trying to cover my bases for the comment <laughs> section, everybody. It's fine. Okay. okay. So part of abusing the trigger, by the way, I like is this having, next section. Yeah. yeah this, it's, this is my favorite uh, section. It's your favorite section. Of course <laughs> it is. Uh, part of abusing the trigger could be having bigger creatures than your opponent. Because if if... Everything is equal and everything's putting uh, stuff into play and your stuff is just bigger and more awesome. Great. You're sort of winning that race. Although 
it's going to be really hard to win something when it's three against one. Okay? True. Uh, but one way to sort of make sure that this isn't as even is making sure that you get the first braids trigger. And you can do that through flash. Yep. Uh, cards like Vidalcan Ori. What? What card is that? <laughs> it, it gives it gives your spells flash. <laughs> uh, Leyline of Anticipation, by the way. Mm -hmm. Really good. Winding Canyons. Mm -hmm, sweet card. Uh, is a land that uh, you can activate to give your things flash. Your creatures, yep. Also Teferi, Mage of Zelfir. This one we haven't talked about as much. We haven't. So let's let's talk about Teferi because it also gives you uh, a level of protection too. So Teferi, Mage of Zelfir. This is Teferi, not the Planeswalker. Is two blue, blue, blue. So five mana total for a three, four, Legendary human wizard has flash and it says creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield have flash and it says each opponent can't cast spells sorry each opponent can cast spells only anytime he or she could cast a sorcery so it gives you instant speed with all your creatures and shuts down all the instant speed from your opponents yeah it's that's really there good. are certain locks with Teferi actually where you, knowledge pool yeah you make it so they can't actually cast things anymore because basically there's certain cards that only have you cast it at instant speed because there's something on the stack mm -hmm. uh, knowledge pool does that because basically it's probably a complicated combo to explain but basically it you makes, still have something on the stack and then it makes you cast something different but the rules say well hold on there this is not at sorcery speed even though this is in your main phase so because there's something nothing. on the stack yeah so you get locked out um you could put knowledge pool in this deck if you want to it's an artifact it's not as good because with braids they can still get some things out that exactly. won't trigger knowledge pool and you're not that mean otherwise you put jinka taxius in i've played knowledge pool before yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, I've played Knowledge Pool, but not with Teferi. I've, I've played okay. them both before. Right, you're more mean than I am. Uh, it's, it's a fun combo. It's so expensive. All right, all right. DJ's idea of fun. And everybody <laughs> thinks you're the fun one, and I'm the, like, poo-poo everything How downer guy. How much mana does that combo cost? <laughs> you deserve to win if you get that onto the battlefield. Yeah, fair enough. So, but, but let's get back to Teferi, because we might be focusing on the flash aspect, which is why it's in this category. Hey, flash and Teferi, flash and braids, everything is we good. Should we should explain that. So the play pattern you're going for with or Ley Line, Winding Canyons to Fairy is on the end step before your turn, you flash in braids. So then when you go to your upkeep, you're the first one to get braids as trigger. Ding. And yeah. then you have a bunch of untapped mana to do more stuff. Yeah. Okay. And you're not like in the position that we talked about where it's like your three opponents have something awesome and you're the last one to put it out. Even if they let you do that, they're still getting you to use their stuff first. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's also very, very important is that provides a level of protection for your braids. Because it only lets your opponents cast at sorcery speed, that means that when you flash your braids in, they can't remove it. Yeah. They literally can't remove it at instant speed. You're gonna get that trigger. Or, yeah, exactly. Or let's say you have a gigantic monster on your side of the battlefield, suddenly they can't interact with that at instant speed either. Yep. So you're, once it gets around to your turn and you have a Teferi out, uh, you're pretty well protected against a lot of their spells. And think late game too, if Teferi's out, instead of doing anything with braids, you could actually just have enough mana to cast, you know, your Blightsteel Colossus on the end step. And because Teferi's out, they're in real trouble trying to deal with it. You untap they can't counter it as either. virtual haste now because it was on the end step before you turn and you're swinging with Blightsteel and they can't counter it and they can't use instant speed removal and they're dead. Oh, Teferi, you are great. <laughs> uh, one other thing to do when you uh, are dealing with this trigger is you can deny the trigger from certain opponents. And one way to do that is with Riptide Laboratory. There, We mentioned a little bit of a wizard sub-theme. Riptide, La Riptide Laboratory... 
Laboratory. Uh, <laughs> says, uh, it's just a normal land and it taps for colorless mana, but you can pay one in a blue and tap it to return target wizard you control to its owner's hand. That means that you can go around the battlefield and you could say, okay, I'm going to give you a trigger and you a trigger, but then I'm going to bounce braids back and not give you a trigger. That's a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Or let's say you don't have anything good to put into play. You could just pick up braids whenever you need to and say no one gets any triggers until I get something good in my hand. And if you have that flash stuff going on, then what you can do is just flash it on the end step of your turn, drop something big, bounce it to your hand, and just sit there and wait till your end step again and do that again because you do not to all three of your opponents and only take advantage of it yourself. Very little downside, yeah. and it gives you more control over what is basically a very chaotic game. Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned it's a pretty chaotic game, Let's try and control some of that chaos. Yeah, so we talked here about th- this first section was kind of like how you take advantage of the trigger. Mm-hmm. And this next section is how you sort of minimize the, the, your opponent's use of the trigger. Yep, that's exactly right. And the my favorite way to minimize my opponent's use of the trigger is to actually let them have it, but redirect them at the opponents. This is where politics plays a huge part. And this is also where subtle spells and having the right things at your disposal can send the opponent somewhere else. For example, you noticed just having a Maze of it sometimes doesn't just redirect one creature, but redirects your opponents at each other for multiple turns. It's so awesome. It's so good. If the first person doesn't make you use it then it just works on the next person it works on the next person and also and the never first, use it also the first person ha- must have attacked someone else with their thing which means that the other one of the other two people is now a little bit mad at them for getting attacked <laughs> and so they're actually less likely to make you use the maze with because they got to get the person back for what they did to them it just snowballs so fast oh, it's, it's so, so good yeah. but there's other cards to do this too we talk about propaganda all the mm-hmm. time along with maze with we talk about it all the time yep uh, another card ether spouts we talk about that all the time I, I think on our show we've talked about it less this is a a really good card probably one that doesn't get enough play for us we did sort of address it a little bit talking about blue um we were talking about cyclonic rift and how it didn't have enough of these type of effects yeah well this kind of touches upon some a larger concept ether spouts is a very reactive spell if your opponents attack you you can cast it and it sends their creatures uh to the top of their library right all the creatures that are attacking you yeah. yeah so it's really just destructive if your opponents attack you and that brings up a really great way of redirecting your opponents at other people besides you is just having open mana if you just have open mana and you've demonstrated the ability to have an ether spouts or to have that rapid hybridization or that removal spell, you are very, very powerful because you're just sitting there being mono blue with your tricks in your hand being like, you know, I, I wouldn't attack me if I were you. It's going to go bad for you if you attack me. Listen, yeah. why don't you just attack them and then you can have your fun. You do realize this deck is built around this concept, right? Yeah, like I built this deck and I thought, boy, no one's ever going to get anything big into play. I'm just going to never have any interaction whatsoever. Yeah, go ahead. And then the people are like, "Mm, I'm going to attack Jimmy. Exactly. (laughs) But that's super powerful. So that's another reason why playing at flash speed is really, really critical because holding up mana is the threat that you really want. There's another card that redirects, it doesn't really redirect your opponent, but could shut down their combat, and I love it. Do you want to talk about this card? Sure, it's Fate Spinner. One blue blue for a one-two human wizard. It says, at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, that player chooses draw step, main phase, or combat phase. 
the player skips each instance of the chosen step or phrase this turn. So, Josh, what would you like to skip? <sighs> your draw step, your main phase, your combat phase. It's the worst because <laughs> nobody wants to not draw the card. But usually combat's what people skip, right? This just yeah, tends to be... Almost always they skip combat. Because it feels as if you'll get too far behind if you just don't play things. Josh, do you know what else you can't play if you skip your main phase? Uh, lands. You yeah, can't, you can't you, play a land. You can't hit your land drop. Yeah. Make sure you remind them. You're like, hang on. If you, you skip the main phase... You if you try to attack me in your combat, you can't play your land drop. Yeah. You really want to get that? Did you watch the stats episode? That's what I was going to say. We just learned <laughs> don't miss land drops for any reason ever. Yeah. You don't want to not draw the cards because we we know that drawing cards is what keeps you with enough cards in your hand to hit land drops. You don't want to miss land drops. You don't want to not develop your board. And so combat step is always the thing. And so it kind of like... You that, give them great big yeah. toys, uh, creatures on the battlefield. That's fine. And then you kind of just keep having them keep, Make it skip hard their for them combat to use step. It. Then what you do is... People are going to get frustrated if they have all these great creatures and you can't attack. Then what you do is you're like, look, I know you want to attack. Uh, I'm going to attack. I'm going to attack into you and you can block it. It'll go away. And then that'll free up your combat step as long as you attack Josh. <laughs> yeah, it's great. The deal works all the time. <laughs> yeah, or you, you, uh, you laboratory it back to your hand because guess what? It's a wizard. Yep. Uh, it's so good. And if you've got flash, you could just play it on the next person, you know, right at the end step. So good. I'll let you attack if you won't attack me. And then, oh, you don't want to make that deal? Well, I'll flash it back in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it so much. It's so good. All right. Um, so redirecting your opponent is by far the best, but if you can actually let them have an awesome creature and then you just steal it, that's like second best for me. I, I'll take that. I'll take your awesome creature. You yeah, can't. and one thing about this deck is you know they're going to get their best creatures and artifacts out. Oh, yeah. They're going to get those out because you're letting them cast, or sorry, put stuff into play for free. And most good Magic players are going to look at their hand and be like, well, what's the best thing? Let's put that out now because yep. why wouldn't I? Because I'm not paying the mana. I'll put out Avacyn. Yeah. I'll put out, you know, crazy Eldrazi or Titans, all sorts of crazy stuff. So one of the best cards in this category is Gilded Drake. It's one in a blue for a 3-3 three, three, uh, Drake with flying. And when Gilded Drake comes into play, exchange control of Gilded Drake for target creature, one of your opponent's controls, or sacrifice Gilded Drake. Basically, it's a two mana to switch this 3-3 three, three flyer with your best creature. Mm -hmm. Here, you have the 3-3 three, three flyer, and I'll take that Avacyn. Is a 3-3 three, three flyer a reasonable creature, Josh? I mean... How about this? Are you afraid of a 2-2 two, two swan token yeah. with flying? No, no. So a 3-3 three, three drake token with flying. What I love about this is you're like, put something awesome out. Thank you for giving that to me. <laughs> and this is, it's so cheap that it's very yeah. castable. Yeah. That's Two the, mana is really what kind of yeah, does it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now that might be more of the spiky side because Gilded Drake is a little bit of an expensive card. It's really great because you can play it for just two mana and still develop your board. Mm -hmm. So you've taken a huge threat. Uh, but if you want to just kind of go over the top with awesomeness, Josh, you were running this in a lands deck. Yeah, a five color lands deck. And this was one of my finishers. It's Royal Elemental. It's three blue, blue, blue. So six mana total for a three, two elemental with flying. It has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may gain control of target creature for as long as you control Royal Elemental. You won't normally play this until you have, uh, it's your sixth turn, you play it and then hit your land drop. Or maybe you have 
a fetch land, mm-hmm. uh, get two things. You know, even like an evolving wilds or something will work in that case. Uh, it's a little bit fragile because if they destroy or get rid of royal elemental, then they get their stuff back. <laughs> Everything goes back. Yeah, You're right. but still. It is a little bit fragile, but it's really fun. It's really, really cool. Do you know what and else also, is fun? Braids can put lands into play. So like later, let's say this lasts a whole turn. I don't know if it's gonna, but you could just be like, uh, Braids trigger, put a land into play, trigger Royal Elemental. Play my land, land for turn. Land drop for turn. <laughs> Steal two things, maybe three or four <laughs> if it's fetch lands. Yeah. Myriad Landscape is a good card for this oh, deck. Yeah. It's a monocolored deck. And you get three things you get to steal. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Um, yeah, I like Royal Elemental a lot. Totally. There's lots of cards that steal stuff. Um, some of the enchantments are good too, but uh, because you can't put them into play on a braids trigger, you kind of don't play the typical control magic cards, although there's nothing wrong with playing them. But for example, a Sower of Temptation, that's a creature that you can abuse with the braids trigger if you need to. It's always going to be better than, the control, be better magic, than, than control magic, basically. Yeah, control magic. Sometimes it's easier to take out a creature and get, get your thing back, but sometimes... It doesn't feel right to like play only a four drop with braids, but sometimes that's what you need to do is play the Sower of Temptation, steal something, have your mana available to develop your board a little bit more. Yeah, we probably didn't up. we probably didn't hit that hard enough at the beginning too. Braids specifically only cheats in creatures, artifacts, and lands. No enchantments. No enchantments. And so you probably want to be low on enchantments, not necessarily zero, and low on its instant sorceries. Again, not necessarily zero. But those are cards that your commander just doesn't interact with favorably. So you don't want too many of those because you can get stuck with a ton of them in your hands and then you're not getting anything out of your braids trigger yeah so you just gotta be you gotta balance it you gotta juggle i think that this deck requires a tremendous amount of balance Mm -hmm. because it would be very easy for you to play braids it dies and then you're looking at your hand and it's full of 11 drops and your commander now costs six mana and you're looking at doing nothing basically until you can play it again what are you doing yeah Yeah, so that so i really think it requires a lot of balance and don't go too heavy on the big mana creatures uh but also make sure that you have enough things to put into play. It's pretty careful, but we're going to address that in a different category. All right. So under we're still under minimizing our opponent's triggers. The next sort of subcategory is copy their stuff, clone their stuff. If they're going to have something cool and you're not going to steal it, at least you can also have a version of it. Yeah. yeah. Again, we're going with sort of the, the best version of this, and that's uh, one of them is Phantasmal Image because, again, it's so, so cheap. You're letting people put out huge things on the battlefield first, and you're like, okay, I'll copy it for just two mana. Phantasmal Image is one to blue for a zero-zero illusion. You may have Phantasmal Image enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it's an illusion in addition to its other types, and gains when this creature becomes target of a spell or ability, sacrifice it. Are that you, last part. Are you afraid of that downside, Josh? No, because normally if it's targeted by a spell or ability, it's dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they're not targeting it with something, you know, every once in a while. There are sometimes. The Maze of Ith becomes really powerful against you then, but in general, you just don't attack that person then. Uh, here's the thing. I really like what you said about wanting this stuff to be cheap. So, <clears throat> um, Phantasmal Image, Gilded Drake, both cost two. Think of the sequencing, the play pattern that's likely to happen. You play Boyards on four. The other three players put something awesome into play, comes back to your turn, trigger. You put something awesome into play, but you got it in after everybody else. Now if I go, boom, steal your thing, now I have two awesome things, and you need to be thinking, I'm going to do that when I have five mana. I'm going to be doing that when I have four mana. And so you need that stuff to be really, really cheap because they're going to have 12 drops. I want that, but I need to be able to replicate it for four mana. 
remember, three mana. Yeah, remember how also I was saying it's really important to be able to threaten the ability of interaction. And so if you tap out for something, people are gonna not feel bad swinging into you. Whereas if you're holding up enough mana to interact with them, even if you don't have anything, even if you have that bluff, then that's gonna be pretty powerful. But every so often you are gonna have those spells that interact with their board. And so you can play something cheap to develop your board take away this sort of imbalance and then still have interaction available. Yep. Okay. Um, oh, you have another in the copy category. This is a fun one. This is a plant form. It's four blue blue for an instant. It says return target creature to its owner's hand. And then you put a token onto the battlefield. That's a copy of that creature. Oh, this is so good with braids because they put something out that they actually probably don't have enough mana to cast. Yeah, bounce becomes very, very strong in braids because a lot of times when you bounce it, it's literally stranded in their hand. They can't do anything about it. So bounce almost becomes a removal spell and then just making your own copy. It's yeah. a great two for one. Yeah. Uh, but again, this doesn't reach the level of some of the other copy effects because um, it's six mana. Right. But pretty powerful. It's instant speed. I got one more uh, piece of copy. Okay. Tech. And that's Sakashima Student. Two blue blue for a zero zero human ninja. It has ninjutsu one and a blue, which means that you can return an unblocked creature you control to your hand and put Sakashima Student onto the battlefield. Uh, you may have Sakashima Student enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it's a ninja in addition to its other creature types. So on its face, this just feels like a normal copy. Mm -hmm. Four mana, copy something, fine. If you have a chance to ninjutsu it, then suddenly it can sort of sneak copy something in. Listen to this play pattern, Josh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've just let everyone put a bunch of stuff onto the board. Right. I'm looking down at my board and I'm looking at my braids and I'm looking at my hand and I just swing braids at you. Right. Do you block my braids and kill it with your huge creature you just put on the battlefield? Probably not. Also, especially if I want the trigger. Exactly. Yeah. Probably not. Josh yeah. is like, you just want to suicide your braids into my big creature. No blocks. Ninjutsu. <laughs> Ninja what, pose. What happens? Then braids comes back to your hand. So they also they don't, don't get, get the, the trigger, braids trigger. And you get a copy and you of their. copy anything on the battlefield that's gigantic. <laughs> and then they just got smacked with something huge. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Look up. <laughs> I don't it like is, it as much as you do. It is so <laughs> it is so satisfying for people to think they would up you. They're like, no blocks. And you're like, I got more than I wanted to. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I like it. Okay, speaking of sort of bouncing and removing their stuff, the next uh, category is removal. So, oh yeah, get out of here. I did it off the side. Okay, so let's talk about well, this is a card that was actually in your top five budget blue cards. Yeah. Yeah. It's from this deck. And we talked about it in that episode <laughs> as like, oh, I know you like why you like this because it's really good in braids. It's really awesome in braids. <laughs> so it's Tide Spout Tyrant. What is it? Five blue, blue, blue? Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's just a fun, big, big creature. This is the one where every time you cast a spell, you get to bounce an opponent. Uh, or sorry, uh, a permanent. And because you can cheat it in with braids... All your mana is still untapped. Uh -huh. Maybe you can cast like two or three spells and simultaneously bounce the cool stuff they put in with braids. Oh, yeah. Which means that they can just never catch back up to you 
is unless they get rid of the tide spout tyrant basically yeah i think it's wonderful um something that plays a a really cool not as not as powerful top end but maybe a little bit of better better card gale caster colossus mm -hmm. uh it works with the wizard synergies that we're talking about whenever you tap and you can tap an untapped wizard to bounce a creature uh tide spout tyrant has the ability to really answer anything because it's permanence because sometimes you just play a tide spout early cast a few spells and suddenly your opponents have no lands and based on the stats thing, bouncing people's lands actually might be one of the better things you can do, even if it's just one or two. I think we get this thing in our head where you have to bounce all of everybody's lands for it to matter. But it might just be that bouncing like two lands per opponent will just lock it up for you. You'll mm -hmm. just have too big an advantage from there. Yeah. And also gives the advantage to bounce your own braids, yep. which is nice to deny them the trigger. <laughs> Okay, some other things that have bounce or just sort of removal in general. Uh, I like Reality Shift. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing the... budget card. We talked about it before. Yeah, and the underperformers or underrated cards or something. Yeah, yeah. totally underperformer. I love that card. Uh, it, it is an exile in blue, and exile is really important. Instant speed too, so you can hold up the mana. You could do other forms of removal like rapid hybridization or uh, Pongify. Those it also, are really good. I think Reality Shift even better in Braids because braids becomes this thing about having the sort of the biggest thing out and even if you manifest something from your opponent reality shift exiles their creature and then they manifest the top card of their library well they can't then have access to, if that's a big creature that's going to sort of go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the other big stuff out there <laughs> they won't be able to flip it yet yeah and if it's not they can flip it up all they want and it's not going to deal with your it that betrays so who cares exactly uh, other bounce is really good especially if it's multi like you can use it in different, a lot of different ways. So for example, uh, Mystic Confluence is great because oh, yeah. uh, this deck doesn't run a lot of counters, but sometimes you might need to defend your stuff because you're going to have cool toys. Or so, otherwise, it just takes care of bing, bang, boom, everything every opponent put out last turn. Basically. Like you had Braids on four, suddenly you have five mana, and then you just go bounce, 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 yep. and it sets everyone back. And now you're in the position you wanted to be in, which is basically equivalent to you getting the Braids trigger first. Sometimes you can even go... Like, let's say you didn't hit something where you put a land into play. I could go bounce, bounce, bounce my own braids. Yeah. Yeah, true. You, yeah, look, braids is really anything, bad, right? bad against all my decks because I just don't play very many big things. <laughs> I mean, sorry, bad for all my decks. Every time you play braids, I'm like, crap, everyone else is going to cheat out like eight mana worth of stuff and I'm going to play a three CMC something because that's all I've got. Or play a land. Yeah. Or play a land. Yeah. That's uh, actually what I should do from now on because we should. learned that land drops are so important. They're so important. That it's an exploration. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> um, one other thing that's really similar to Mystic Confluence, Cryptic Command. Yep. Uh, the modes on Cryptic Command are insane. Countering a spell is good. Drawing a card is great. But bouncing, again, that's like a removal spell in this deck. But even better, uh, Cryptic Command plays that role of redirecting your opponents as well because you can play it and tap down all the creatures of your opponents, they all get tapped down. So you can kind of fog one attack, but then as your opponent untaps, your creatures are untapped, but each of the other opponents are still tapped. And so they're gonna send their awesome stuff towards the people who have tapped creatures. And so sometimes someone that comes at you, you tap down all their stuff, they get attacked by the next player, they get attacked by the next player, and then you attack them, and it's enough to close out a game. Cryptic Command, good card. I heard. I heard it's pretty good. All right, I got another bounce that I love, and Josh loves it too. We talked about this in um, Olivia's Atrada deck. It's called Crystal Shard. It's three mana for an artifact. You can pay three and tap it, uh, or you can pay a blue and tap it. So That's those fine. are your two choices. That's You're going to pay a blue and tap it. <laughs> and you return target creature to its owner's hand unless its controller pays one. So it's amazing how many times people forget, A, that this is out there, or 
you just basically put a one extra tax on them or two, depending on when you're going to activate it. Because if you activate it on the end step, then they pay the one and then you untap with it and do it again. And they're like, crap, I didn't leave two open. So that sucks if you're the opponent. Because do I just want to leave two mana open all the time? This early in the game yeah, too. No, thank you. But And everybody has to do it. Otherwise, they lose their thing to you. Also, this is so early in the game, too, because this is like turn four. Yeah. Suddenly at turn four, you have to keep two mana open or else lose the big thing I gave you. Yeah. That's horrible. A horrible position to be in. Also, it's target creature, so you can bounce your own braids to deny them the trigger, so it has that duality, right? Yep. That's exactly right. Yep. Uh, let's talk about a weird one. Okay. Yes, this I've is, seen this come out and play before, and I had to read it like 15 times. This is great. It's a weird one. Uh, I might just explain what it does in normal words rather than reading this. It's like one of those words where, of text. where I don't even know if you can actually read the... Here, let me read it. You I, want to, but by the way, this is the, I downloaded the, the even oh, the this fixed is the, version. This is, oh, this is the Oracle text on it? Yeah, this is the Oracle text. So this is the fixed version. And by the way, this card is a very corner case. It's very cool in this deck. Uh, it has shot up in price, and so it's a little bit expensive. It's Thanos's coffin. It's four mana for an artifact. It says you may choose not to untap Thanos's coffin during your untap step. So if it's tapped, you don't have to untap it. You can pay three and then tap it, and you remove target creature and all auras attached to it from the game. Note the number and kind of counters that were on that creature. When Thanos's coffin le leaves play or becomes untapped, return the remove card to play under its owner's control tapped with the noted number of counters and kind of counters on it. And if you do return the removed aura cards to play under their owner's control, attach to that permanent. So that's the fixed text, by the way. Yeah, it, it, they should have they should have the like simple thing, had it's a phase out or something. It's actually a really simple concept, which is, hey, I got this card that's a coffin. If I tap it, I can put your creature in the coffin. It if, still has all its stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's just stuck in the coffin. Yeah. All right. And then if it ever untaps or it gets destroyed, you get your creature back tapped. Yep. So one thing that's really good is that I can put my own braids in the coffin and then deny you all triggers. And then this, when I untap it, it comes out of the untap step. And then the upkeep braids comes there. back out, the upkeep it's there so it can trigger. But also this is that, that same threat that just sits on the battlefield. And I say, well, if I have three mana, I'll put your stupid creature in the coffin. So don't attack me. Don't attack me and I won't put your creature in the coffin. Yep. And if they do, you're like, all right, fine. Put it in the coffin and then it'll come back around again and you can untap it and give them their creature back and it's tapped. You could even attack into them. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's a pretty powerful removal spell uh, on an artifact, even though it's a little bit expensive, both in mana cost and in price. You probably have a few random creatures in here that have Enter the Battlefield effects and things like that too, where I it do, can yeah. work with those because, again, it leaves play and comes back. So Yep. Uh, Sphinx of Athun, you just stick it in the coffin, and you're like, all right, I'll well, get it back again. Yeah, and you can do that on your end step as sort of a, a pseudo blink. I'm going to block, put it in the coffin. Yep. Yeah. All right. Pretty fun. Uh, so the last category under minimizing your opponent's triggers is what we call board wipes, ways to, you know, Things can get hairy, can get out of control with this deck, right? That's right. We talked about uh, this card specifically. It's I think you played it once against a mono green something deck, or maybe it was a Xenagos deck where I was, and it was like, uh, this was bad because the person's just like, huge creature, huge creature, huge. Every turn, they just had handfuls of them, and it was just like, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh so in terms of board wipes, we have cards like Evacuation, Return Everything to Their Hand, Instant Speed. That's important too. Yep. Again, Psych Rift, of course. You know, yeah. Cyclonic Rift. People are attacking you. Cyclonic Rift is actually good too because it can interact in the early game. Oh, it's actually good? No, I mean like... <laughs> yeah, you could it, maybe... You actually use the other modes sometimes. Okay. 
You do sometimes. <laughs> it's actually good, everybody. <laughs> Cyclonic Rift for most of us is a seven mana instant. True, true, true. Yeah, and this is sometimes even more flexible than Cyclonic Rift. Fair enough. Here's one of your uh, favorite budget cards. Yeah, Ixodron. Uh, we talked about this before, but three blue blue for a star star illusion. Enters the battlefield. You basically turn all other non-token creatures face down. And that has the power of toughness equal to the number of face down creatures. But this gets rid of so many problematic permanents. You're giving people amazing stuff. They're putting Avacyns onto the battlefield. Crazy Eldrazi. And suddenly you're just like... Yeah, the board's gotten a little bit crazy, guys. I let you I'll let you play, but things have gotten a little bit out of hand. So I'm just gonna make everything a two-two. Yep. <laughs> a lot of times, if they don't have card draw, this can really set them back so far because they might not have enough at that point to replace it. Also, it's for most decks, turning a face down into a two-two is worse than way worse it, than putting it in their hand or in their graveyard because they can often reanimate it or recast it. But a lot of times with the 2-2 face down, they're just like, well, they have to start making deals to like trade creatures off, get it in the graveyard, reanimate it. It's a whole thing. So like Oblivion Stone is also pretty good in this deck. But Ixodron is, has been way more of a powerhouse than really a classic, really solid board wipe is just because of the way it interacts with creatures and commander. I like this next one. I have it in my Joira deck. Old school Joira. It's Keterect Leviathan. Six blue blue for a 5-5. Five five. It says, when the Leviathan comes into play, return all other non-land permanents to their owner's hands. So as soon as this enters, all other non-land permanents, that's mana rocks, enchantments, By the way, your, bra- your own braids. Your own braids are gone, and you just have a 5-5. Five, five. You can also unearth it. So it says, unearth for six and a blue, and that means you return this card from your graveyard to play. It gains haste, and you remove it from the game at the end of turn, or if it would leave play, and you can only unearth as a sorcery. So it kind of gives you a sorcery speed board wipe um, type effect once it dies or once it gets to your graveyard. But this is really, really good in something like Braids because think of that tempo we were talking about, right? So I play Braids. I pass to DJ. He puts something awesome out. Jimmy puts something awesome out. Mel puts something awesome out. Comes back to my hand. I go, Keterek Leviathan, bounce the awesome stuff you played, and then I play something. And now I'm ahead. Yeah. Whereas I would have been behind. And that's just on the first turn. You might let it go a turn or two, bounce two or three things, when you have more mana and you're the first to act, because remember the big thing about braids is that you don't pay mana for the stuff. So the way to take advantage of it is to still, to use your mana at a point when everybody else has nothing. Absolutely. So those are kind of the board wipes. And now you can kind of imagine the deck, right? You can imagine the deck where you have awesome stuff to put into play. You have all of this interaction, these tricky things, this way to like use your opponents against each other. But there are a few cards that often see play in braids decks that i think are traps Ooh, i like this this is the you think they'd be good but maybe they're not good yeah and i think that by understanding why these are traps you'll understand a little bit more about how to play this deck or how i play this deck and have found a lot of success in it okay so the first trap is paradox haze see this seems like it'd be really good so paradox haze is an enchantment that gives you an additional upkeep that's right. And with an additional upkeep, you have two braids triggers. So I could cheat two things in. That You're thinking that this would break that the, the equality right, that's going on here. One, Everyone's going to two. two. Yeah. yeah. Um, turns out, like, two is a little bit overkill. And a lot of times, you don't have two to put onto the battlefield. This is a do-nothing enchantment that only works in your commander if it happens to work and if you have two great things to put onto the battlefield. It 
is not as good as you would think. A lot of times you want to make sure that your one threat, your one thing is good enough to play with the board and to be able to interact with everything that you really don't need to. This is overkill and too narrow. It's interesting because it's the type of card that, and I agree with you, and this is the type of card that when I see it, I see a lot of people play it. My thinking is like, that's super greedy. And if you're building the deck in the way that you're talking about, which is to kind of like make sure that you're taking advantage of it with a bunch of cards. Notice when we talk about the good cards, we're listing five ways they're good in different situations. Mm -hmm. When's Paradox Hay is good? One situation where I'm already doing the thing. And in that case, I'm probably good anyway, right? Because if I've hit my braids trigger two or three times in a row with nothing, no wrench getting thrown into the works, then that's my game plan. And I'm probably fine because I probably bounce my my opponent's stuff with it and, and all this other stuff. So I don't need to get four things in two turns. Probably two things in two turns is enough. And I'd rather my other cards were stuff like Cryptic Commands and, and things that mess with, with what they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I think that Paradox Haze just overrated. Ex- exactly. It's it's overrated. It's best uh, best case uh, mentality, scenario mentality. BCSM. Yeah. That's right. Shout out to Limited Resources. Uh, another another card that people play a lot is an enchantment an aura called Vanishing. It's one blue and you can enchant your own braids and then you can activate it for blue blue and enchanted creature phases out. Phasing means that your creature will come back in before your upkeep. Yep. So that means that your braids will, in fact, trigger when it phases back in again. There's a way to deny your opponents the exactly. trigger Exactly. You deny yeah. your opponents the trigger, and you are the only one getting triggered. The thing that I don't like is that this only works with your braids. So you have to have your braids on the battlefield. Then you have to enchant it. And then you have to be able to activate it. Yeah, true. I mean... Wouldn't this also work with the cool thing you cheated in with braids, though? That's true. You could put you could put this on the Let, cool thing you cheated in and give it some level of protection. I mean, like an it that betrays. People are definitely going to want to kill that thing. Yeah. So, so your your sort of play play style is have the braids come in, so everyone gets their trigger. You put in the it that betrays, and then you're able to put this on it and hold up double blue in order to phase it out. That's fine. I prefer different kinds of protection. I really like uh, Kira Glass Spinner. Great Glass Spinner, yeah. Uh, I really like Swiftfoot Blutes and Lightning Greaves because they let you hit really quickly with that. They also give haste. Yeah, they also give haste and let you do a lot of damage. Uh, I like some different types of interaction rather than this because it's sorcery speed and you have to keep double blue up in order to activate it and it feels very clunky. I think this is the type of thing people run into a lot in deck building and it's hard to sort of come to terms with it. But it's not that this effect is bad, I don't think, because we can mention scenarios where it's good. But you just mentioned cards that you like better than it. And the problem is how much of this protecting my stuff stuff do you want in your deck? And the answer is not 50 or 10. It's probably four, which means this is not unplayable it's just getting bumped out by the stuff that's better than it and your deck's gonna be better if you just play the best stuff in the categories that you can that you need and so this is the type of card that people look at it that has to be in the deck and then you're like okay but are you gonna take out it's okay yeah what are you taking out for it it's not that it's not crazy to put it in it's just no i just think it's a little bit of a trap yeah that you have too many things to protect your stuff and too narrow of a way to protect it because 
this only protects it at sorcery speed because when you go to put this on something, they could just be like, yeah, I'll remove it or something like that. True, although I think that's less of a worry just how early Braids stuff happens. And in general, Lightning Greaves and stuff has a similar problem. In but you keep your Greaves you around for the your next, Greaves. For yeah, the next time it's it goes true. around. Yeah. It's true, yeah. And by the way, the upside of Greaves is insane because you have haste. Right. And then you're smashing earlier on. Right. If uh, it betrays with haste, is pretty good. That's what they told me. The last trap uh, is another way to interrupt your opponent's uh, effects, Braids triggers, and then stifle effects. Uh, stifle is a uh, one mana instant that says counter target activated or triggered ability. You might have seen this more recently on uh, Cycling Nimble Obstructionist. There's a one blue blue counter spell that does it now. Disallow? Disallow, disallow. Yeah. There's Basically, they've put this on a few things now, and I think all those things are a lot better than Stifle because they have flexibility. But man, a one-off effect to stop. It's way better to, to just have Crystal Shard. Person. Yeah. Yeah, it's way but better. Some people to- want to target that one person. They're like, no, you can't have that Braids trigger. Uh, and it's kind of a fun thing because you're playing p- more politics where you're selecting which player gets the Braids trigger and which players don't. So you're but- using a card to do it. It just feels bad. I, I feel like I need to have a really solid balance in this deck. I need to be able to have those big creatures, but then also I need to be able to have the ramp and card draw I need to support this game style. And so that gets us into the next category, which is how I think you should actually be building this deck, which is with enough ramp. People rely too heavily on the Braids trigger in a Braids deck. I know, we've been talking about the trigger this whole time, talking about abusing it, but honestly... This should be a way to sort of create chaos in the game, sort of stall everything out, get crazy cards out of your opponent's hands and deal with them or send them at someone else. And then as you transition into the late game, you have the ability to just play Haymaker after Haymaker because your deck is built for the late game. Your deck is built to drop ten, put 10 drops onto the battlefield. And eventually you do want to cast that stuff. Absolutely. So you need to make sure that you have plenty of ramp and card draw. I think card draw is one of the most important things. And I particularly like instant speed card draw. Imagine this scenario, Josh. Uh, My turn, Braids Trigger. Okay, I got some untapped mana. I have a Braids Trigger. Uh, Fact or fiction? (laughs) So it's an instant speed in response to the trigger you play it? Oh, I like playing it in response to the trigger. Definitely. So the Braids Trigger is on the stack for you and you cast Fact or Fiction, which is a three and a blue instant. It says... Reveal the top five cards of your library. An opponent separates those cards into two piles. Put one pile into your hand and the other into your graveyard. So they know you're going to be able to cheat, potentially, anything they that you pick uh, out into the battlefield with the Braid Trigger. Yeah. So that creates quite the conundrum for your opponent. So much tension. So they have, like, they see a Jenga Taxis, and they're like, no, one in four. Right, they... Often this happens with Factor Fiction where there's one card that's way worse than the rest. So you put one pile as one card and the other is four cards. And you're saying, well, at the very least, if you get Jindy Taxis and then cheat it out with Braids, you don't get the other four cards. And sometimes I'm just looking at an it that betrays in my hand and I'm casting this anyways. I don't need the big creature. And then I'll take the four cards and get huge card advantage. Or, Although in that case, you still put Jenga Taxis out because you're going to drop yeah. to seven. But yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> or like, I'm like, all right, it doesn't matter. I've gotten five cards deep and I've gotten exactly what I need for my Braids Trigger. And you put that onto the battlefield. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another thing that gets super deep into your deck that gets you exactly what you need is a card like Dig Through Time. Seven cards deep, you get exactly what you need at instant speed. Then utilize that Braids Trigger and get exactly what you need onto the battlefield. Dig is underrated. Very, very good card. 
Very good card. Uh, but also, I think that Ramp is definitely underrated in this deck. Playing Braids on turn four and then just waiting, I think your opponents have a lot of ability to develop their own board. So mm -hmm. I think early Ramp is important, but you can also play artifacts with Braids. So cards like Caged Sun or like Hedron Archive or these big mana rocks can easily be put into play. And then suddenly you have a big man advantage so that you can start casting some of these spells instead of relying on the braids trigger. Yeah, it kind of goes along with what we were saying a minute ago and with the stats episode as far as like, we did count number of lands at the end of the game and not mana rocks because their lands tend to stick around. But in general, just having a lot of mana we've learned is way maybe more powerful than we even suspect. And so I can see putting in Hedron Archive or one of these big mana rocks into play rather than even a big creature uh, just to set yourself up better for future turns. That's something that's going to pay you dividends for, you know, three or four turns down the road is you're going to be up, you know, 12 mana sometimes. And then also with your Hedron Archive, you can cash that in for cards when you need it later on too. So it gives you the mana advantage and the card advantage. But lots of I like rocks. this as a better way to take advantage of braids and sort of give you long-term advantage, right? Because if somebody goes huge creature, huge creature, huge creature, and you go Hedron Cage Archive. Or Cage Sun. Cage Sun. They're all going to be eyeing each other because they all have the huge creature. And maybe, you know, hopefully you have your ether spouts or, or something else. You're to, sitting there with interaction, yeah. To deter them. And so they start looking at each other. And now not having a creature is almost a little to your advantage. And you just set yourself up to have more mana than everybody else coming to the next turn, you know, which can snowball. That's, that's how I play the game yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. It makes sense. You yeah. don't look scary. Everybody else looks scary. We've learned... That, that turn one through three soul ring thing. We've learned looking scary is not in your favor. Yeah. You're going over there being like, look guys, you went crazy with this trigger. Like, all right, go at it. And you get to go, oh crap. <laughs> I didn't draw stupid deck. I designed this thing to drop huge things, but the only thing I got, a Hedron Archive. Okay, go. <laughs> you know, you get to play it like your deck's misfiring. You well, can. When I don't even, think that only works once. I when think. even though you've got tight spout tyrants in your hands, they don't know what you got. Maybe it's your true. deck is misfiring. You don't know what you have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, one other way, so we try, I prefer the mana rock, the develop your mana kind of style, but one thing that some people like to play, which I don't think is necessarily a trap, but it's not how I like to build it, is the Quicksilver Amulet route, mm -hmm. uh, which is basically, let's double down on cheating big things into play. Quicksilver Amulet is an artifact for four mana. You can pay four and tap it. You may put target put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. So this is for four mana over and over again. Once a turn, you can put something big into play. And basically, if you think of it as on the first turn that Braids triggers, you cheat this out and then activate with the mana you've got. You kind of break even that one time. And now you get two cheat two big things out. It's kind of like Paradox Haze, though. The way you seem to have built it, you don't even have enough big stuff that that's going to even continue to be worth it. Yeah. And sometimes my big stuff is is pretty situational. Like that Keter Leviathan is a big thing, but I'm going to want to save that for a very special occasion. Right. Well, for when you have to. Otherwise, you may not even cast it in the game. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. I like one of my favorite things about each deck is how it's because every deck needs ramp and draw, but how each deck sort of wants their ramp and their draw to just have a little twist to it that's different than every deck is kind of something that I don't know. Yeah, I, this deck I, I prefers cool. instant speed card draw, so we might not play sorcery speed, so we lean in that direction. Uh, we do want ramp that gets us to braids, but, but you want big rocks. We not might, rocks. yeah, we might actually then like play the one mana rocks to you know get us into braids. Like you know, obviously soul ring and mana crypt to get a turn two braids is great. You know, but then we maybe skip some of the more traditional rocks and jump up to some of the bigger ones. Yeah, just kind of cool. 
Yeah. All right, so let's talk about, we got the deck. It's all built. We got the deck, it's built. This is the part of our deck text that we don't go into enough, but you've played this deck a ton. Oh, so yeah. let's talk about in-game strategy, when you're playing the deck, sequencing and things like that. Absolutely. So one thing that's great is that as you're coming into the into the game, people are expecting a certain type of deck when they're expecting braids. Some group hug with quotes around it, maybe a little bit of interaction, but they're not really seeing you as a threat. It's not the traditional mono blue deck. If you come in with Talrand, people are gonna just really focus you. So being able to play up the idea that you're just having a good time is really important to establishing yourself as not a threat. We've talked about this before, to not be a threat. Right. And when you're looking down around the table, at a commander game, then they're probably not considering braids a threat. So that's the first thing that you do. And then one thing you have to remember is that each opponent gets the braids trigger first. So one thing I mentioned is making sure you're very conscious about when you play braids. Sometimes I can play braids really quickly and I'm thinking, no, this is not, this is not going to be good. So be very wary of when you play braids and then make sure that there's some table talk going on. Like I mentioned earlier, when you ask the table if they want braids, then it's pretty likely that it's gonna come around and you're gonna get a trigger as well. Uh, sometimes you don't even need to get a trigger if you have strong enough political pull on the table. You can just give that your opponent's tools to destroy each other while you sit back. Uh, again, make deals, make them a gift. If there's a gift, then they feel obliged to help you back. They won't attack you. I'm like, if they go to swing at you, be like, I gave you that. <laughs> what are you, what are you doing? Like, when would you have been able to cast that? And then some, by this. the way, by the way, sometimes if that one person is like, I don't believe you and they swing at you anyways, you can sometimes with your appalled nature of you, how you're just, oh, I can't, believe, I gave you that. Then Josh over there is like, he gave you that. It swings in. You can create rifts and friendships and then really manipulate people. But to be honest, are you really manipulating them? You gave them that. You're not really manipulating them. You're giving them tools to win the game and they turn them around against you when you're playing four mana tutus. I like everything that DJ's doing right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It works though. That kind of stuff totally works. It totally it's works. great. It's one of my favorite parts about the game. It's what gives it its sort of werewolf mafia aspect. Yeah, but and actually that's that transitions to the next stage, which is this actually makes for a very fun deck. Yeah. Because you never play braids just without saying a word and everyone just silently passes it around. Everyone's talking when you're playing braids. You're like, all right, is the braids good? Let's do some braids action. Braids good for you? And it gets people talking. It's, it has people be like, no, 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 don't play braids. He's playing a Xenagos deck. What are you doing? <laughs> or, or they're going back and forth with each other and it opens up the conversation. It opens up the game. And people end up having a lot more fun when you have to talk about all of these interactions and when you open up the table to politics. Yeah, it reminds me a little when I played against it. I have my five-color Nekusar deck which uh, we've talked about a bunch on the show. The one, the thing I like about that deck is that every time you play it, a lot of stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Braids is that type of, of commander. Because people where, always have stuff to play. They're yeah, always drawing stuff. They, in general, like Braids is going to come out and they're going to get to play an additional card without casting it you know, on each of their turns. That just ratchets up the amount of stuff, just volume of it, you know, 
by a lot. And so you get these games where crazy stuff happens that maybe wouldn't happen under normal circumstances. And it doesn't mean you win. My net five-color Star deck probably doesn't really actually have a great winning percentage. But the games are always awesome because everyone's got a full grip of cards. See, that, that deck draws people a lot of cards. Mm-hmm. Your deck kind of puts a bunch of cards in play, but it's the same sort of outcome. And these decks are super fun to play. And now you might understand why I shy away from a card like Jenga Texas. Yeah. Even though it's so powerful, like Braids and your Nexar deck, these examples open up the game, let people play. Jenga Texas is like, discard your hand. Yeah. It just puts, it stops that. <laughs> and, and really, frankly, gives people the wrong feeling about the deck. And one of the things about playing Braids, you're not always going to draw Jenga Texas. So you don't want them to be thinking in their head, screw that deck. That deck's no fun. Yeah. Yeah. Braids, wanna, when I see you pull out the Braids deck, I'm like, sweet, this is going to be crazy. Yeah. yeah, and it has been. It has yeah. been crazy. It's, yeah. it's like, because it's really fun. And one other thing that's really great, and actually uh, Josh Murphy, our editor, brought this up, is that it scales really well to the table. Uh, basically with all the clone effects and the copy effects and the steel effects, and you kind of open it up for them to attack each other, you can sit down at a lot of different commander tables and be able to pull out braids and feel with confidence like, yeah, this can hang kind of with what's going on. I'm hitting you with your own thing. So you can't be expected not to deal with it because you had it in your deck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's it's kind of quintessentially what the 75% theory is from uh, Jason Alt. I have a lot of non seventy five percent cards oh, yeah, in this yeah. in this deck deck that we're talking about, but honestly, it scales scales really well and is fun at different different levels. Very cool. Um, I have a question here. Why is it your favorite? But I think you just told us why it's your favorite. Yeah, uh, that's it. Opens up the conversation. It lets people talk. And one thing that is also really good is that it can it can get out of almost anything. It all has so many answers. I think you've mentioned this before too that you like decks that have a lot of play to them. And I feel that this Braids deck has a lot of play to it because it has big creatures, so you feel like you're not underpowered in the late game, and it's filled with answers. You never feel like I'm just dead to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. You have some you don't have a ton of counter spells, but you have a few flexible counter spells. You don't have a ton of instants and sorceries, but you got the bounce. You got the little bit of removal. You have those Ixodrons that transform everything. You have the the protection with your boots and your greaves and stuff like that. So you have a really well-balanced deck. And then you just happen to ratchet up and have a few fun interactions with braids to start it off with. I would say if you don't have a deck like this, my five color Nekuzar deck, like I was saying, fills a similar role. They're great to have one in your arsenal also because I don't know about you, but I'm going to guess that if you ever sit down for the first time with a group, this is the deck you pull oh, out. Oh, yeah. I pull it out all the and time. And that's what I end up playing is my five color Nekuzar because I know it's going, it has a chance to win. It's not that it doesn't. It's going to create fireworks. It's going to have fun games, and it's not, it's going to scale well with what everybody's doing and not just blow them out of the water. It's not like you want your best deck when you go into a situation that you don't know, but you also don't want your worst. So a deck like this really gives you middle ground, and it's the type of deck that just gets things going. And every Also, when you're meeting people for the first time, I mean, it's just human nature. I want them to like me, so I think they're going to like me a lot more if my deck's fun. Yeah. So, But again, I want a chance to win. And these exactly. decks do have them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it definitely does. And you would think like it might, it shouldn't be, you know what I mean? Like you go around right. and you're like, okay, well, you know, I'm giving braid triggers to everyone else. This feels like it shouldn't be a very powerful deck. I win a lot with this deck. Yeah, it's very good. It's good. <laughs> I've it's definitely good lost deck. to it. It's a good deck. All, <laughs> All right. right. To the listeners, what commander uh, deck generates the most fun for you? What genera- What commander deck do you have that sort of fits in this category that um, DJ and I are talking about? I'd love to hear about some more decks like this because I think that most people would benefit from having, you know, 
one of these, maybe a couple of these in, in their arsenal, as they say, in their tools. I'd like to learn about more of them, yeah. too, because if you have, like, a fun build of your deck, then that sounds great. Because Nekusar doesn't feel like fun, but you're right. Like, it, it when is. When I change it to five-color version, it is, right? Because I don't... Often I don't draw Nekusar or get to Nekusar and I just made everybody draw a bunch of cards and the part where I tried to kill everyone didn't go well and then everyone just had a bunch of cards and did cool stuff, you know? <laughs> but I even I even like Nekusar where it's like, all right, I'm gonna give you a ton of resources, but you're gonna kill yourself with them. Yeah, exactly. It's like a fun it's a fun way to die. I will die drawing cards. If I die totally. and I have twenty cards in hand, like it's can't be that I'm bad. I'm pretty happy. Yeah, it yeah. can't be that bad. <laughs> All right, well, if any of these cards sounded cool to you or you have that favorite deck of yours that we just asked you about and you want to add some cards to it, please go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. You use that affiliate link when you order your Magic Singles products, anything at all. You're supporting this show, Game Nights. You're helping us do, do really cool stuff like the statistics episodes that we just came off mm -hmm. of, things like that. Uh, Ultra Pro is another way to sponsor this show and to help us continue to do cool things. I was, I was pausing there because there's a piece of content, and at the time we're shooting this, I'm thinking it's going to be out. It's a bonus piece of content for our 200 subs celebration. So if that's out, that's Ooh. another that's another thing not, we were able to do. It. Yeah. I think it's probably out by now. That's another thing we were able to do because of sponsors and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. And it takes up tons of resources, yeah. but we're able to put it together, which is awesome. Now, you showed off your island I did, um, yeah. playmat. I'm going to show off the Black Lotus playmat that I have right here. There are matching sleeves. There's matching deck box. There is a matching wall scroll, cloth wall scroll. This is all stuff that you can find online, online retailers like Card Kingdom or at your LGS. Ask them about it if they don't have it in stock. Hopefully they can get it in stock. Okay. Time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. You got something? Well, it's kind of cheating because I, I mean, it's, I'll it's, take it's, cheating it's, in, I it's inside the world of magic. Oh, okay. Just kidding. It's actually... It's actually a Netflix show called Magic for Humans. Oh, I've seen it on the Netflix thing, but I haven't clicked on it. Yeah, so so it's probably no surprise that I like everything nerdy, and that includes literal illusions magic, too. Oh, actual magic. magic is great. It's, it's great. Yeah. And Magic for so a lot of times we feel desensitized to magic at this point in time because if you see it on television, you think, oh, someone like Josh is behind this and that it's fake. It probably isn't. Yeah. I probably am. <laughs> <laughs> or or you just feel like it's not edited well together. It just doesn't give you the same impression. And so magic kind of needs to be face-to-face -to, -face to really, really hit you and really be good. I think that this show, Magic for Humans, actually gets around that because it's about the human interaction in magic, mm. where it's a lot of of like fun interactions and they still film it really well. And they, they go in and say that they're like, no, like this is real magic. These are real people. But I always love the people's reactions and the way that, that, that uh, they kind of talk about different human issues while performing a little bit of fun stuff along the way. And some of the tricks are really easy and other ones, you know, and predictable, you could look it up online, but that doesn't matter because it's how people interact and how the host really brings people into the story and into his craft. I love magic. I will have to check it out. Have you ever been to, I'm sure you have, Magic yeah. Castle? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My uh, my great uncle was a, was a member there. Oh, nice. Yeah, Freddie so Wong, Jimmy's brother, is a member oh, there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I still have yet to go there with him, but I've been many times. It's sweet. Yeah, oh, yeah. I've Up been a close, times. magic really is great. my favorite. Like, if they're, you're sitting at the table with somebody and they're doing, like, the cards and the coins and stuff. In the Magic Castle, like, it's a very cool building. You can look up stuff online, but you can, like, wander around and have drinks. But they're just magicians sitting at tiny tables and you can just walk up to them. And they're like, here, let me show you this thing I've been working on. Watch And they it's just do magic. Sweet. And, they're, and you're they like big shows too, two feet but... from them, like right there. And you're like, wait, do that again. But you and I honed in on the best part, which is like, you're right here. And they're like, let me show you something. Yep. Do you like car? They, and they just do whatever. And it's great. Yeah. 
If you're ever in LA and you can at all, you need swing an invitation. It. You need an invitation, but there's you ways you can to, get them. You can get them. Just look into the Magic Castle and try to figure that out. And in the meantime, watch what's it called? Magic for Magic Humans. Freemans. All right, I'm gonna Netflix. check that out. It's okay, good. Okay, very cool. Something else you should check out is our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman, they talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. At the time we're recording this, that Chalice event at Card Kingdom hasn't happened yet, but the time you're watching it, it will have happened. And those two guys helped me put my deck together. And I'm assuming that I just steamrolled everybody. I saw it. It's great. Yeah. I'm I'm, Josh, I'm, I'm going to be disappointed if you don't steamroll that. I, Jerry Thompson, down. Went down. <laughs> Yeah, Kenji took him down. Just everybody <laughs> just took him down. I'm assuming that's what happened. It's you know what the problem is? The deck that Alex and Ben helped me build is awesome. The person who's piloting <laughs> the deck, I'm sure, screwed it up. Because I don't play does modern. More, does that put more pressure on you, Josh? No, the deck is so good, and they're like, "You can't lose, Josh." They're like, "Why did you do just that?" Play our cards. You can't lose. They're gonna be sitting there like, "Why did you do that?" And I'll be like, "I have no idea." Because I'm a commander <laughs> player. I didn't know that I should counter that thing, or I was supposed to bolt that. I was just <laughs> didn't seem that bad. To be fair, I don't know if you can know the meta of random booster packs that are drafted. Like, I don't think that's a known meta okay, game. Good. Well, then that's gonna be my excuse when I <laughs> yeah. don't win. When Jerry Thompson and steamrolls me you know um something else that you should check out on the worldwide interwebs and especially on youtube is jumbo commander that's dj that's me dj is jumbo commander and he has his own channel all about commander and if you just type in jumbo commander into your youtube search bar he's gonna pop right up and you what you got a ton of deck techs you got recently i've been playing singleton oh, on yeah. on arena yeah, so you've got some actual gameplay. I've got singleton some actual gameplay. Stuff. I was trying to think of some singleton deck lists, and I was looking at them, and there really weren't a lot of them online, or they were from like Kaladesh cards and stuff like that. So I was like, I want, I want to play some singleton. So I made a bunch of decks. I've been recording some videos with them, and I gotta say that singleton is fun. It might have me, might have converted me to being able to play brawl. No, oh wow, that's how fun it was playing singleton. What's on, on the um, arena. what's the singleton deck that you've got right now that you like the most? Uh, what's it built around? What's the key cards? Don't so, do a full deck tech. I won't do a full deck tech. But uh, Soltai is really good because I think Search for His Conta is amazing oh, yeah. in this format. It's so good. It has some of the best removal spells, but most importantly, it has the ability to address the fast decks like Moment of Craving and um, the other and sort of uh, Assassin's Glorious Trophy. Demise and stuff like that. Assassin's Trophy too. That sort of answers the aggro decks. And then once you get big, you just go over the top because you have things like... you play like, Moldrotha? I did not play Moldrotha in my first version because I didn't want to spend the mythic ticket on it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, but playing all the planeswalkers like Vivian Reed is a house. Vrask is amazing. Uh, Dream Eater is oh, insane. Dream Eater. Along with, uh, what's the 6-6 six, six that surveils that's insane too? Uh, Doom Whisperer. Yeah. The Flample one? The fl- Yeah, the oh. Flample one. So really Crystal what Brand. you're doing, yeah, is you're playing a bunch of early interaction. You have these card advantage cards and then you get to the B playing those big haymakers over and over and over again and it ends up being really fun so there you have it check out jumbo commander on youtube you get not only commander stuff but you also get into arena a little bit i actually want to watch extra content too i'm yeah. still putting out a deck deck yeah so look at that just yeah. bonus content bonus coming content. out like crazy this is bonus content for dj too it's I nuts know. I'm, how do you have any I'm time like, i'm like i'm playing arena anyways i might as well record this it's like <laughs> i better do well because i'm not doing a lot of takes on this i should play <laughs> arena and then i could record it Let, don't get your hopes up everybody i'm a little bit busy okay <laughs> Um, oh, well, this is your This, this is my part because our yeah. editor is Josh Murphy, also Murph. pilots a Braids deck. Gave me some tips, and actually, we think a lot alike. 
in this you, area. So yeah, Murph's actually, I've been playing awesome. against Braids a lot recently because between <laughs> you and Murph, it's like, okay, yep, great. Braids is in the pot again. Get ready yep. for it. Yep. Okay. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer at Living Cards MTG. Thanks, Jeffrey, for doing the Living Cards animations at the beginning and end of each episode, That's as right. well as our cool backgrounds. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. (laughs) (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.